May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This past Thursday, the church year observed the Feast of the Ascension, the event 40 days after the resurrection where Jesus tells his disciples to wait for the coming Holy Spirit and commissions them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He is then lifted up into the clouds and vanishes. So much so surprising that the disciples are basically just standing there looking up And the angels have to come and tell them, why are you looking up? Get with it. We hear about this event in our Acts passage for today. Traditionally, these nine days between Ascension and Pentecost is known as a novena, nine days of prayer for a specific thing. And you may have, in your tradition, may have heard of novenas before, and there are many, many, and many of times they're focused on saints and specific things that a person is praying for, with specific outcomes hoped for. But this is the first novena, the first nine-day period of prayer, and the focus is the coming Holy Spirit. And the disciples are gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem, devoting themselves to prayer at this time. And just to highlight something that is often overlooked in art and in other ways, it wasn't just the men who were in the upper room. The women were there as well, and specifically Mary, the mother of Jesus, And when you think of this story of her life, from the Annunciation to the birth to the crucifixion to the resurrection, and now here waiting for the coming Holy Spirit, she is there. And it is interesting in our Acts passage today that when it's described that they will receive power, the words used is the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, it's interesting that at the Annunciation, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and she conceived Jesus. At Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, and it started his ministry. He even says in his first sermon, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then... These disciples are waiting for the Spirit to come upon them. So we know something new is about to happen. And what happens? The birth of the church. The birth of the church's ministry in the world. So we are in, with the liturgical calendar, this waiting period. Waiting with the disciples for God's promise of the Holy Spirit. Waiting even as the angels tell them, for when Jesus will return in glory, just as he departed at some future date. But what do we do while we're waiting? What do we do while we're waiting? Well, the disciples model a very good thing. They pray, and prayer is always the right thing to do. Always the right thing to do when you're in a waiting period. 
Yet, for us, it's a little different. They were waiting for the first outpouring of the Spirit. We have already, as Christians, as the church, received this gift. So we are looking for ways the Holy Spirit can empower us personally and as a community to share Jesus with the world. And as Kinsey preached last week, if you are here, how this Spirit works with each of us is different It's as different as each one of us is unique. And God empowers and speaks to each one of us in different ways based on how God has created us. So something to ponder. How is the Spirit speaking to you? Now, our passage from 1 Peter chapters 4 and 5 give us some helpful guidelines about what we might be doing as we're waiting for God's Holy Spirit to be more abundant in our lives. There are so many passages like this in Scripture. And you can imagine, not unlike when a preacher gets up and preaches, each one is trying to give a a framework for a specific community and a specific time and place. And so we're going to dig deep into 1 Peter today to see what we can be doing and what God is already doing in our lives. Now, to really get into this passage, I'm going to show you the benefits of doing something called a word study. We don't often have sermons that are word study sermons. In some traditions in the Christian church, that's mainly what you would hear on a Sunday morning. And I'm going to model a bit how to do it. It is not mysterious knowledge. It's not something you get when you get your Master's of Divinity degree. Poof. Like, you know, in Harry Potter, now you have all of this knowledge. It's something that you too can have access to. And the tools are right here, actually, now. In your phone, on the internet. And just as an example, these are three of the books that I use to do words. I'm kind of old school, so I still like paper and pen. But... You can do word study with these three books and maybe one or two others, but now they're all online. It's amazing. So let's dig in. I use a website called BibleHub.com, and if you want more information about that, see me after the sermon. First, when I start a word study on a passage like this, I look at the verbs the action. I want to see where is the action going. And there are many verbs in this passage. You all have a pencil. You all have your passage in front of you. Okay? This is the first step of a word study. Get that passage in front of you. Get that pencil out. And for the benefit of time, I'm going to actually tell you which verbs to underline that we're going to talk about. Otherwise, I would just underline all of them. So get ready. Rejoice, underline rejoice, humble, cast, discipline, keep alert, resist. Okay, so six verbs, rejoice, humble, cast, discipline, keep alert, resist. Now... Four more. 
restore, support, strengthen, and establish. That one's an easy one because they're all in the same verse. You can just underline that verse. Restore, support, strengthen, and establish. So the first six verses, or the first six verbs that we underlined, these are the things that we're called to do. These are the things that we're actively participating in. And the other four verbs are the things that God has or will or is doing in us right now. Okay, so first six is what we can be doing, and the other four are the things God is already working in us. So let's go down through these. Rejoice. It is simply as it sounds. And in the context of this community, they are suffering persecution for their faith. So Peter is encouraging them to move their eyes from their suffering and move their eyes to God and rejoice in who God is rather than focusing on their circumstances. So this kind of rejoicing is not happy clappy. It is not pretending that everything is okay. In fact, I would argue it is the opposite. This kind of rejoicing is looking squarely in the face of the challenges in front of you, being honest and realistic, and then consciously taking your eyes off from those and putting them on God and God's work in that situation. So shifting the focus from what's challenging you to what God is doing in that situation. We are looking for our joy in God alone, not in our day-to-day circumstances. So rejoice. Humble yourselves. To humble oneself is to place oneself under God's love and will. And we know, might be reminding you, we know we're not God, right? We're, We're not God. But Peter is suggesting that sometimes in our day-to-day lives, we live as if we were little gods. I choose, I decide, I determine, I, 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 I. And here, we're being invited to allow God to be above us and to trust God's power in and through us. That God knows more than us. But here's where we get a a bit of a misconception. It's not just simply to lower ourselves just for the sake of lowering ourselves. What's the next part of that verse? God will exalt us. So there's a sense of that lowering then leads to a joyful and positive and healthy exaltation that is not determined by our own will, but by God. Now, in uh, Luke 14, there's a story. Jesus tells this story. When you go to this feast, he's like, don't choose the high seat. Choose the lower seat. Because then the host will come to you in the lower seat and invite you to the higher seat. If you choose the higher seat and you're not supposed to be there, a host will come to you and say, get to the lower seat. So it's an invitation rather than us determining and demanding special attention. So humble yourself. Here's a rich one. Cast all your anxiety on him. 
The verb to cast here is only used twice in all of the New Testament. Only twice. And it's really key to know where that other place is, that this word is used. When the disciples are casting their cloaks onto the colt that Jesus will ride in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, they're placing their garments on this animal and they're casting them on. So it's the same verb. So imagine that. What you're anxious for is like a garment that you can cast upon Jesus. And he can bear it more than us. Now you might be wondering what anxiety is. In the Greek, this word means something that fractures us into pieces. Anxiety is something that fractures us into pieces. Draws us into a lot of different directions all at once. And we feel pulled apart. So think about something that is fragmenting you, fracturing you, and imagine it as a garment that you are placing onto Jesus for him to bear rather than for you to bear. The next verbs go together. Discipline and keep alert. They're a pair. The first word means to be free from what intoxicates. Why? Why might this be important? Well, we know that things that intoxicate us impair our judgment. So disciplining ourselves to be free from these things allow us to focus better on the things that are important. And it goes well with that next one, keep alert, to be vigilant, to always be prepared. And if you were a Girl Scout or a Boy Scout, you might perk up. The motto for those is be prepared, be vigilant. If we cast upon Jesus the things that are pulling us apart, we're better able to stay focused on the things that are healthy and good for us. So we're supposed to be disciplined and keep alert, but what are we looking for? What are we vigilant about? Well, Peter gives us that, the adversary. The adversary, and this is a term that's often used in scripture about Satan. But it's an interesting one, because often Satan is seen as someone who has a case against us. This word means an opponent in a lawsuit, someone who is arguing for damages and punishment. So, so Satan is basically standing before God saying, you did this and you must pay. So we're supposed to be watchful for how the adversary is speaking in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I have that voice in my head. Often I will have the accuser's voice saying, this is where you've fallen short. This is where you've sinned. This is where you have failed. Can God really forgive you for those things? Can you live up to your responsibilities? Can you live up to your calling? 
Is God really good? So the next verb and the final verb is we need to resist that voice. And how do we take a stand? That's what it means. Resist means to take a stand, firmly planted, against that accusing voice. And Peter encourages us to stand firm in what? Our faith. Good. Our faith. Faith here is the word pistis in Greek. It is never something we muster on our own. We don't grit our teeth. I'm going to have faith. That's not how it works. Faith is always a gift from God. Always. When this word is used, it's always a gift from God. And here's a way to think about what this faith is. It's trusting that God is who he says he is. And God will do what God says he will do. Trusting that God is who he says he is. And God will do what he says he will do. We may not believe that statement. We may want to, but we may not believe it. And that's okay. In our faith, standing firm on our faith, we can say, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I want to believe that's true. That is the gift of faith. So when the adversary speaks to us in that accusatory way, we can say, talk to the hand. I know that God is who he says he is. He is forgiving and loving. And I know he will do the things that he says he will do, that he will restore me. He will restore me. Okay, are you still with me? Okay. Okay, the final four go really quick because they're all together. God promises to do these things and has done them for us. Restore, support, strengthen, and establish. To restore here means to mend a ripped garment, weaving it back together. Fix what is broken. I hear resonances when I read this of the AA steps. Restore us to sanity. This is the promise of God to each and every one of us, each of us, and here at St. John's, and for the church in the world, and for all of creation, that God will restore all things. All things will be woven back together beautifully. This is amazing. And it is the foundation of our faith. To support, strengthen, and establish. To support, think of a plant. I just planted some rose bushes. I planted it into the ground, and I made sure there was enough soil around it so that it would stand upright. So I supported it. I put a trellis there to hold it up. I supported it. I strengthened it by making sure there was some rose food in the soil to nourish it. God is preparing where he plants us with what would be nourishing for us, providing a trellis of support, a community to encourage us as we grow. And finally, if that's not enough, the very ground that we've been placed into, the foundation, 
He's established the very foundation to be stable. Now, you might think, you know, the earth is pretty unstable. And culture is unstable. And relationships are unstable. There's so much instability. Where is this establishment happening? Where is this foundation happening? It's happening in God's own self. We are planted in God. And that is the entire gospel reading for today. Jesus is praying that we would know the unity that he has with the Father, that we would know that we are in God, firmly established, firmly joined in that intimate relationship. So now you have a sense of the richness. And the problem with doing word study sermons is there's like 10 sermons I could have preached right in this part, right? You're thinking, oh my gosh, that's just a lot of information. But just in one paragraph, how rich the scriptures become. Our English translations are great, but they don't get at the many different layers that have built up over the centuries around this language, around Greek. And you can do this too. You can do these kinds of deep dives into the words and meaning of Scripture using the resources. And again, if you want more information about how to do that, ask. And I will be happy to share that with you. So this week, as we wait with the church between Ascension and Pentecost, as we specifically pray for the Holy Spirit to be more abundantly experienced in our lives personally and as a community, we've got a few guidelines to start off with. Do I want you to do all of them? No. No. Choose one of those six verbs. Choose one of them that kind of resonated with you. Maybe it was the casting of your anxiety or maybe it was the rejoicing. Pick one and have a sense of just diving into it this week as you're praying. And then look for God to restore, support, strengthen, and establish you as he has promised. Amen.